Good morning, HCC. We will be uh, reading from Genesis chapter 38. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me now. If you're looking for the version that we use on a mobile device, you can follow along word for word. We read from the English Standard Version, the ESV. And uh, if you're new here, I am too. This is like, I think, my third week. Um, it's going by so fast, <laughs> I've kind of lost count. Uh, but I'd love to meet you if I haven't already, and especially if you're new here. Um, and we can talk about ways to uh, connect with God and others here at HCC. Here are a couple ways uh, coming up to connect with God and others. The first, who's been to one of our outdoor baptisms before? Raise your hand if you've been to one of our outdoor. Just about everybody that's fantastic. If you haven't been to one, you're going to want to come. September 26th, we're having an outdoor baptism. It's not just a baptism. It's more. It's an adventure. <laughs> it's an adventure. And if you've been to one, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Laith takes me out to uh, where we do outdoor baptisms. And uh, we're driving along. He's got a four-wheel, what is it, Dodge Durango RT. Just an awesome truck from, uh, you know, 15 years ago or so. Classic truck already. <laughs> Oh, it's, it is a popular one. People try to find those specifically because they love those trucks. And he goes right through the cornfield, and we're driving through, and I'm like, wow, this is an adventure. Well, I didn't know half of it. We get to the creek, <laughs> and we go down into the creek, up through the creek, up the other side, and it was awesome. If Guys, if you thought church wasn't manly enough, you have not been to one of our outdoor baptisms. <laughs> All right? It's fantastic. So we'll make sure it's all uh, good for you. You know, you can, we'll mow it well and uh, so you can get back there and we'll have a shuttle for you across the creek if you need, to, uh, if you need it. And um, yeah, put that on your calendar. September 26th, we'll have some more uh, details for you later. I think time early afternoon-ish. Um, so put that on the calendar. That'll be a great way to connect and celebrate what the Lord has done. Actually, before we go on from that, if you would like to be baptized, let me know. Baptism is a commandment the Lord gives us to tell the world that we believe in Him. When we go under the water, it's an object lesson uh, that we can use to tell the world that just as the water washes over us, Jesus' blood washes away our sins and we are clean. And then when we come out of the water, it's, uh, it's, it's us proclaiming that just as Jesus Christ rose from the grave, as just as our bodies rise from the water, we're proclaiming that we will rise too. And so that's what a baptism is, and thank God that he gave us an object lesson to tell the world that we believe rather than standing up front, because public speaking is most people's worst fear. And so instead of coming up and preaching a sermon, you can tell the world you believe through baptism. That is what baptism is, and so if you'd like to be baptized, let me know. We have a baptism class September 15th, and then uh, I'd love to have the honor of baptizing you on September 26th. Uh, we got a back-to-church party just to celebrate and kick off the fall uh, on September 26th as well. Earlier in the afternoon, we'll have bouncy houses and games for the kids, and we'll have some food as well. Um, and so make sure to come September 26th. That'll be a great week. Coming up next week is our Small Group Selection Sunday. We'll be watching a movie called Small Groups, which does a great job of uh, talking about the importance of small groups. And then we'll have the small group leaders stand up and talk about their groups, when they meet, where they meet, what they study. And if you're new to a small group, they meet, uh, you know, every week or every other week, and they study a Christian book or a book of the Bible, and they discuss... Um, that topic and that spiritual topic and how it relates to their lives. And it's a great opportunity to grow in your faith. And so if you, you're not in a small group and you'd like to, uh, make sure you come next Sunday evening from 5.30 to 8. We'll meet right here at the church, I believe, in the fellowship hall. And you can hear about the groups. And if you'd like to, sign up for one as well. 
And today we're going to continue our sermon series. This is the second week. We're calling it Turning the Tables because God loves to take what Satan plans to destroy us or crush us or defeat us. And God loves to take that exact thing and turn the tables on Satan and use it for your good. And when you believe in the Lord, he will take those darkest moments of your life, the most difficult moments, and actually turn them into moments that you'll back on and say, that was for my good. And the theme verse that we're using is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And when we follow the Lord's call and we put our faith and trust in him, we can know that all things work to our good. Even the things that feel terrible, even the things that we don't want to go through, even great suffering, we can know that God is using that for our good. And we've been reading through Genesis chapter 37 and on. Today we'll be in Genesis chapter 38. Last week we read chapter 37, which begun the story of Joseph. Joseph is the son of Jacob, a man who's got many sons. And Jacob loves one son more than all of his others. And that's Joseph. And it makes his brothers so angry. They hate Joseph. They want to kill Joseph. And one of the brothers who's so evil, he says, well, kill him. Yeah, okay, but you know what would be even better is if we sold him for slavery because then we benefit. If we kill him, I mean, what do we get out of it? And so you, here you have these incredibly evil brothers who take their brother Joseph and they sell him into slavery. And Joseph is his father's favorite. And so to deceive their father... They take Joseph's robe, which his father made him, a gift of love for his son. They take Joseph's robe. They take a goat. They kill the goat. They dip the robe in blood, and they bring it back to their father and say, Look at this bloody robe. Joseph is dead. He's gone. And God has a plan for what he allows in this life. You see, Jacob himself, he deceived his own father with a robe and a goat many years earlier. Jacob had a brother named Esau, and Jacob... Jacob's father loved his brother more than he did Jacob. And it's interesting that Jacob has repeated the past. I'm sure it didn't feel good to have your father love your brother more than you, but that's exactly what Jacob has repeated and done to his sons. And Jacob knew the pain of a father loving a person, a sibling more than he. And so what he did was he dressed up like Esau using a robe so that he would, he would smell like Esau and a goat so he would feel like Esau. And he deceived his father. And now, years later, God has allowed Jacob to be deceived by the exact same thing. His brothers have brought a robe and a goat. And God's got a reason for what he allows. My oldest daughter, she is the best. I'm telling you, she's the best. But she can be a bit of a stinker, too. And uh, when she was little, man, she's just the cutest little girl. And I'd go to put her in bed. And I loved her so much. And she knew that. And she just, for no reason whatsoever, would just love to get under my skin. And so every once in a while, you know, she's a great daughter, most cutest little girl. But every once in a while, I'd go to put her to bed. And Sarah would say, hon, can you put Gracie to bed today? And I'd pick her up to put her to bed. And she'd go, hmm, I want Mama to put me to bed. And she wouldn't look at me. She wouldn't talk to me. I'd be like, what a little sticker. And I try to get at her, try to tickle her and stuff. Well, years later, I've got another adorable, cute little daughter, my little two-year-old Hannah. And Gracie's the best big sister in the world. She wants to help. She wants to serve. She's just our little helper. We couldn't do it without her. And every once in a while, Sarah will say, Gracie, can you go put Hannah to bed? Or can you go get Hannah dressed? 
And Hannah loves her big sister, but every once in a while she goes, hmm, I want Papa to put me to bed. <laughs> I'm like, Gracie, you know who used to do that to me? <laughs> you did. God has a way of allowing the things he does in our life to grow us, to stretch us, to develop us. Here, Jacob, God has allowed him to be deceived by the exact same thing that he deceived his father with. If Jacob didn't know what it was like to repent after before this, he certainly knows what it is like to repent now. Look at what I've done. And some of the things in life God allows to work on us because of what we've done in the past, other things are just completely against his will. There are things that Satan brings into our life, things that God didn't want that go against his will. They are deep sin. Joseph's brothers have sold him into slavery, and he's lost a son. And you might be sitting here today, and your suffering may have been caused by your choices in the past. Or God might be allowing your suffering to teach you something about the choices that you've been making or have made. Other things God allows, and they seem like just completely random, terrible evil. That's not God's will. God does not cause those things. Those are the result of sin and people going against God's will. And you might be sitting here today saying, well, my suffering isn't anything I've done. And what did I do? What could I have possibly done to deserve this? And that is certainly what Jacob feels like when he learns that his son has died. And of course, he doesn't know that his son is still alive, but he believes his son has died. And talk about hell on earth. What could be worse than that? But even in the worst situation imaginable, which I think is probably this, is probably losing a child. Even in the worst situation imaginable, God is so good that he will take that and use that for good. And that seems like the most ridiculous, biggest claim that anybody could make. What could possibly good come of this? And last week we talked about how Christianity is amazing because it doesn't just work for the little things in life. It works for the biggest things in life. In fact, we need it most for the biggest things in life. And it makes sense even when you hold it up in the light of the biggest things that we could experience in life. What sense could that possibly be? Well, the Lord is going to return and he's going to raise the dead. Now, Jacob, at the end of the last chapter, he is inconsolable. He's inconsolable when he finds his son has died. And you might have gone through suffering in life and, and felt inconsolable because it's so big, it's so terrible. What could possibly redeem this? What good could possibly come of this? And it would make sense to despair. It would make sense to be inconsolable if God wasn't in control, if God wasn't good. Then Jacob's response would make sense. At the end of chapter 37 there, he, Jacob tears his garments. They try to comfort him. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him in verse 35, but he refused to be comforted because what good is there after this? If God doesn't exist, if he's not in control, if he's not good, then it would make sense to feel like Jacob does, but God's got a plan to grow Jacob's faith because if God is in control, if he is good, then even the worst things, shouldn't make us inconsolable. Even the worst situation shouldn't make us hopeless. Because if God is good, he's in control of even that. And those of us who've gone through things like that, we need a God who is that big. We need a God who is that good. 
to take even those situations and turn them around. And when the Lord returns and we see him undo the work of Satan in our life, when we see those times that we prayed and those prayers seemingly go unanswered and those people die, when we see those people rise from the grave to eternal life after the Lord shows his power over evil and reverses everything that Satan meant to destroy and crush that person, it will not be hard to worship and love God for eternity. And that is what God wants to do in Jacob's life. He's inconsolable, but God is going to lead him on a journey to teach him something. God is going to do some things in Joseph's life to show him how good he is and how every situation works for his good. And he's even going to use what the brothers have done, even their sin. He's going to use even their sin to show them how good he is, that he can even take their rebellion and use it for their own benefit if they put their faith and trust in him and follow him. And that's something that we all need. And so we're going to continue reading this story, picking up in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. I said Genesis 38 earlier. I apologize. Genesis 39. It says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of the Egyptian master. Joseph has just been sold into slavery. He's been rejected by his family. He's been taken from his father, the land where he lived and God is with him. How would Joseph know? It looks like he's lost everything. And yet God is with Joseph. How would Joseph know? Well, he would know because of God's promises. Genesis chapter 6, 26, going back, the promise to Jacob, his father, says, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you, and will bless you for to you and to your offspring. That would be Joseph. I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. And so Joseph would know that the Lord is with him through God's word. Certainly not through his circumstances. How can you tell that God is with you through the circumstances? You need God's promise. Genesis chapter 26 as well. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Genesis 28, God repeats it and repeats it and repeats it. So Joseph would know that God is with him even when it looks like he's not. Genesis 28 says, Behold, I am with you, and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And Joseph, Jacob, and his sons would know that God is with them from God's own words, God's own promise. You might be going through difficult times and be like, Where is God in my life? How can a good God in this type of evil and suffering be compatible? Where are you, Lord? And how can you know that God is with you? We well, know the same way that Joseph would. God has given you the same way to know that he's with you as he gave to Joseph. Matthew chapter 28 tells us, those who believe in Jesus Christ, Jesus says to us, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Always. To the end. He's not just talking to the disciples there. He's talking to his church. He's talking to you. And so when you're going through difficult times, you might, might look at your circumstances and wonder, where is the Lord? How do I know that he's with me? And the answer is that he is promised. That's how we know. We're going to come back to that more later in the story. Continuing on with Genesis chapter 39, verse 3. It says, His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. His master, that's, uh, that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh is above Joseph. And he recognizes Joseph's gifts. And this is excellent leadership. Pharaoh looks at Joseph and says, this guy's a leader. Everything that he does prospers. He reminds me of the guy in Psalm chapter 1. It said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, it prospers. And that's what Pharaoh's noticing of Joseph. Like, everything this guy does prospers. This is a, a man of God. This is a great leader. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him the overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. And so Pharaoh's a great leader because he recognizes Joseph. He recognizes his leadership, and he says... You know, I think this guy should be leading. Now, contrast that to Joseph's brothers, who are unsuccessful people. Unsuccessful people, most of the time, will not follow good leadership. It's a big difference between successful people and unsuccessful people. Joseph is a good leader. His brothers say, we won't follow him. God gave Joseph a dream, which we read about last week. The dream showed that he would be a leader of his family, and they said, no, we don't want that. They're insecure. They're selfish. They need to be in charge. If they're not in charge, well, they're not going to be on board with what's going on, even if God himself is doing it. Pharaoh, on the other hand, he's not even a believer in God. And yet he looks at Joseph and he says, you know what? This guy's a leader. I'm going to give him, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to put him over all of my house. Pharaoh is not insecure. He's not selfish. Pharaoh recognizes good leadership, and it prospers him, his family, and his house. And where are you at? Are you threatened by good leadership because it means that you won't get to make all the decisions? I know I don't like to follow people. Last week I told a story about how I had an idea of what we should do, and then Sarah explained to me an idea of what we should do, and I thought that idea is better than mine. And I hated it. Because what I like better than good ideas is my ideas. That's a mark of an unsuccessful person. If you want to succeed in life, if you want to prosper, ask yourself, who should I be following in life? What leaders has God brought into my life that I should be following that can lead me to the type of place that I want to go to? Do you get on board with where God is moving in your life? Or do you say, no, 
If I'm not doing it, I'm not going. And here his brothers have tried to destroy Joseph. They tried to crush him. They meant to destroy him and sell him into slavery. And what's happened to Joseph? Instead of being your normal, typical slave, God has used what the brothers meant to crush him instead to bring him to a position of leadership which he could have never achieved with his brothers. Who do you think Joseph would rather be leading? Those brothers? That would be a miserable experience. God's got plans for him to be a leader. His brothers had the opportunity. They blew it. Joseph is in a way better place. He is in charge of the largest, most successful nation on all the planet. And you might be a good leader. God might be doing things through you. God might be calling you to follow good leadership, or he might be calling you to be a good leader. And if you are sitting there with good ideas, struggling, know that, you know, if your family isn't listening to you, if your boss isn't listening to you, know that if God has called you to lead, if you continue to put your faith and trust in him, God will bless you with that opportunity. Keep the faith. Or maybe you're in a position of leadership. Maybe you're like Pharaoh. You've got employees. You've got people under you. Are you looking at what God is calling them to, to use their, your, their gifts and skills? You might be the husband in your family, or your wife might have great ideas. Are you noticing? Are you willing to let her lead where God has called her to lead? You might be an employee of a company, and you've got employees that God is blessing. Are you giving them that leadership? We've got a great lesson of leadership from Joseph. We need to get on board with godly leaders. If we find a godly leader in our life, we've got to pray for them. We've got to get behind them because that is so rare to find a leader that God is moving through. That is precious. That is special. They need our support. God needs leaders. And he's certainly calling you to lead in different areas of your life. And it's not easy. As you try to step out and lead, more often than not, you'll find people like Joseph's brothers. And if you're an employer, you're desperate for good people, aren't you? And if you have those people, we need to empower them. And here, Joseph's experienced what is meant to be a setback in his life. But God is so good, as Joseph continues to follow him, he takes that setback and instead he uses it for Joseph's success. Because all things work to the good of those who love God. And he's put over all that Pharaoh has. All of it. Have you ever met somebody that, that can't get on board unless they're number one? Here Joseph's over all of the land of Egypt, but it's not his. It's still Pharaoh's. And interestingly enough, even if Joseph was in Pharaoh's position, it's still not his. It's God's. And rebellious people will always look ahead, always look up, and they might be able to fit into a team, an organization, a family, whatever, for a time. But it won't be long before rebellious people say, you know what, I should be in charge. I should be the one making all the decisions. God has made a mistake. God has made a mistake. That person that he's put above me shouldn't be there. I should be there. I had a, uh, at a previous church... I had a guy who was very talented. And I said, why don't we put this guy in, 
in a, this position of ministry and let him run? And those around me said, no, 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 no. We know this guy better than you do. We've known him for a long time. He's a lone ranger. He can't work with anyone or for anyone. He's not a leader, and we should not put him in a position of leadership. And being young and naive, I said, uh, well, I'm willing to take that chance, and I'm willing to let God work. And instead of God working the way I thought, I thought he'd be working on that individual. Instead, God worked on me because I learned to listen to those around me. I put this guy in a position of leadership, and sure enough, incredibly talented guy. But every meeting he was a part of, every ministry he was a part of, he had to have the final say. Otherwise, he wasn't happy. No matter how much ministry I gave him, no matter how much leadership I gave him, he looked up at the next level and constantly said, I need to have this position and this say and this decision. And how many of us is that? And Christians should not be like that at all. Christians should be different than all other people and that we should understand authority because Jesus is our authority. We should understand our role. Christians should be able to fit into a team because we should know that there's always someone over us. Our life is never our own. What we have is always given to us, whether by Jesus or by our supervisor or whoever is in front of us. It's a gift from God. Our talents, our gifts, ourselves, our life, our breath, it's all a gift from God. Our opportunities, our salary, it's all a gift from our employer. And we should be able to fit into teams. Not that we shouldn't be bringing good ideas. Joseph brings good ideas, and it brings him all the way to the second in the country. But Joseph didn't get there by complaining. He didn't get there by saying, I know more than you. He didn't get there by rebelling, disrespecting. He got there because he's a man of God who's trustworthy. And Christians should be trustworthy. And if you want to advance, the answer is not to tell everybody how much smarter you are. The answer is not to tell everybody how much better your decisions would be. The answer is to serve those who are not God has placed an authority above you and make yourself trustworthy to them. If you're in a position where you want to succeed, make yourself trustworthy to your supervisor. I guarantee they are desperate for people who they can trust. And God will bless you. And that's how Christians should act in the workplace. That's how Christians should be. And it won't always be easy. Here, Joseph, God called Joseph to leadership, and instead what he got was rejection and slavery. That wasn't easy. But God is with Joseph, and he's with you, and that suffering which Satan plans to crush us, God plans to turn the tables on it and use it for our good. And you know who else went through that same thing as Jesus? Jesus came to earth. He's our king. Here's a Messiah. We should have bowed down and worshiped him. Instead, we rebelled against him. We rejected his leadership. Does that sound familiar? And Jesus had to go through the cross to get to the resurrection. If he would have given up in the garden, if he would have quit, we wouldn't have seen the resurrection. If Joseph would have quit as things are going on, as he's called to leadership, and instead he says, no, Lord, or instead his brothers say, no, Lord, and he gets rejection, if Joseph wouldn't have continued on, if he would have lost his faith, well, he wouldn't have seen the success. God's got a plan to use those setbacks for your success. So keep following him, and then you'll see it. like Jesus had to go through the cross to get to the resurrection. You've got to go through what you're going through right now to get to where God wants to bring you.
God's presence is in both. God's present with Jesus on the cross. He's present through that whole experience, and he's present in the resurrection. And what will you do with your situation? It can be discouraging. But if you know God, if you know who God is, you know he's going to use that for your success. Do you know? God is going to teach Jacob. He's going to teach Joseph. He's going to teach his brothers. And maybe he's going to teach you. It says, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. How much time do we spend trying to look better or to turn back the clock? How much time did I spend as a young man praying that God would make me a little taller so that I would be more handsome? How many times in the last 10 years have I prayed, God, just let me keep this hair till I'm 40, 45. Come on, Lord. Come on, massage Jesus, bless. What a waste of time. What a waste of time. Those of you who are, who are gorgeous, you know what a waste of time this is. It is not much of a blessing to be attractive. If you are attractive, you attract some of the shallowest, strangest, selfishest people on earth. If you've got an idol of your appearance, break that idol immediately. What a terrible thing to worship is how we look. If you're attractive, you know what I'm talking about. How many relationships did you get suckered into by terrible people before you realized these people are... <laughs> How much of my life have I prayed to be wealthy? Lord, bless me with wealth. Lord, bless me. What a waste of time. When you're wealthy, you don't have any friends. When you're wealthy, you attract the shallowest, worst people on earth. Sometimes God denies us what we want because if we got what we want, it wouldn't be good for us. Sometimes God denies us what we want because if we got what we want, we wouldn't even follow him. If I got that idol, boy, if, then I'd go after these other idols that I really want. If I had that money, I would, I'd be doing this and doing that, and I wouldn't be serving the Lord. Sometimes God denies us our idols. Sometimes God denies us even good things. Because if he didn't, we wouldn't follow him. God has denied Joseph lots of things. He's denied his freedom. He's denied his family. You think that God's not with you when he's denying you things. God might be denying you something for the exact reason to get a hold of you. Because he loves you. And he wants to save you. And he can't do it if he gives you your idol. You'll follow and chase after that. God doesn't cause evil in our life, but God is so good, he will use that exact evil to get us to learn to trust and depend on him. God didn't cause people to tease you for your appearance when you were younger. That's not his will, but God allowed it because he's so good, he wanted you to find your identity in him. If you've been poor, if you've lacked provision, God doesn't love poverty. He hates poverty. Look at heaven. It's, a, it's an embarrassment of riches. But God allowed that in your life, not because he likes being poor, but because he's wanted you to turn to him.
When your loved one died, when you, when you prayed and that prayer wasn't answered, God doesn't enjoy death. God created the world without death in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to a world without death again in Revelation chapter 20. It's not like in the meantime God confused. But God allowed that because he wants you to learn to trust and depend on him, to have a faith that's so deep that it goes to the deepest situation, even death. God wants you to love him and know him so much that you place your trust in him. Even when your loved one has died, God has a purpose for that. He wants you to have the kind of faith that is rewarded with a resurrection. And God has denied Joseph many things. And how has Joseph responded? In faith. That's what God wants from us. That's what God wants from you. And Joseph has responded in faith. It doesn't talk much about it, but we know throughout the story how Joseph responded. Because if he didn't respond that way, he'd certainly spend a lot more time on that. Look at King Saul. It's the exact opposite. King Saul runs into difficulty, and even though God is with him at the beginning, he stops following God. He rejects him. He does it his own way. He takes it on himself. And he says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And Samuel says, because of that, God has removed you as king. And that would certainly have happened to Joseph as well if he had given up the faith. He wouldn't have seen the success that God planned to bring from those setbacks. But Joseph has not stopped following him. And we see God blessing him. And God will bless us. The same things that Satan wants to use to crush us, God wants to use to save us. God has denied you things because he loves you. And God has denied Joseph many things, but this is not one of them. Joseph is hot. I'm telling you. What happens? Verse 7, it says, After a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, <laughs> This has not brought blessings into Joseph's life. It's brought temptation. Lie with me. But he refused. Better for Joseph to have been denied this. He refused. He's a man of self-control. He says to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in the house, was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Here's a man of self-control. Now, our society, this is fascinating. Our society spent the last 50 years telling you you can't control yourself, especially in this way. You can't control it, so embrace it. If you want to do this, if you want to do that with this person, with that person, with that thing, you do it. And here's a guy who proves the opposite. Lust is an incredibly powerful thing, and it can control our lives. And because of our culture, because of the message of our culture, because of the desire of people's heart, God has removed his spirit from our nation, especially in this way, and we find ourselves a people without control. How many of us can't control that? 
We're at work, we can't stop thinking about it. We're at home, no one's looking, and we got to get online. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God wants you to have control. And if you're someone who's struggling with control, you're not alone. It's like everybody. It's like all of us. But God wants you to have control. And here is someone who has control. Even day after day when the temptation keeps coming. Even day after day when she keeps trying. Even when he's not alone. It's so much better to have our minds and our thoughts on our spouse. And we believe the lie that it's actually better for us to go do and think and look at this. But it's not. It's damaging. And our relationship with our spouse suffers. Or our relationship with our future spouse suffers. And what we need is to trust in the Lord that His Word is good. And we need to seek to have self-control. Now this is a sermon that is really could go a whole sermon just on this. But if you're struggling with self-control, God wants you to have self-control. You can have control over your desires rather than your desires having control over you. We are not animals. We are people created in God's image. It makes us different. And if you want to gain some control back, one of the main things I'd recommend is called covenanteyes.org. And get an accountability partner and get that stuff on your computer and send that stuff to your spouse so that she knows or he knows Send that stuff to your best friend. Send that stuff to your small group leader. And you will begin to have self-control. And you'll begin to starve what Satan has brought into your life. And you'll starve those demons. And you'll begin to get freedom in God's spirit. CovenantEyes.org. Here's a guy that gives us inspiration. If we've been struggling with that sin, God is good. And he can bring us deliverance. And here's a guy who's got control. Talk about control day after day. And he does not follow Satan. He follows the Lord. That's inspiring. That's the kind of self-control that I want. That's the self, kind of self-control that my spouse wants. That's the type of self-control that my marriage needs. And here we can have that in Jesus. She doesn't get what she wants. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie, to me, lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. And here Joseph has worked and worked and worked to get to this point in his life. And it takes one gossiper, one gossiper, ten minutes to ruin the whole thing. Gossip is a serious sin. It destroys our households. It destroys our places of work. It destroys our marriage. It destroys our churches. It destroys our communities. And this is what gossipers do. And it seems so innocent. How would her husband know? 
Of course Joseph is losing this battle. Think the husband is going to believe his wife over Joseph? This is what a gossiper does. They go to those closest to them because they know they're going to believe them over someone else. You've got friends, you've got family who will come to you to gossip to you to create division. And how do we know? Well, the first thing we know is that if we've heard half of the story, we've heard none of the story. Here she goes and recounts the facts, and a travesty, a travesty of retelling of the facts. Nothing like this happened. But this is what gossipers do. They come, and they put themselves in the best light. They remove all of their sin, and they put the other person in the worst light and put all of the sin on them. There's never been a conflict in the world that was this simple. And if you have someone who's come to you, and they've told you this sort of gossip, what are you to do? Well, encourage them to follow the Scriptures. Matthew 18 says, if someone sins against you, you go directly to them. You don't go to others. You go to them. And if you have someone that's come to you rather than that person, say, why have you come to me? I'm sorry this happened to you. You don't have to disbelieve your friend. You don't have to disbelieve your family. You're there to love and support them. But they have revealed to you by coming to you to gossip. They have revealed to you that they are in need of ministry. They are in need of prayer. They are in need of direction. Because they're not following Jesus. And so as soon as you come and you hear somebody tell you a bunch of stuff, you say, why didn't you go to them? And the reason that they didn't go to them is either because the story isn't true or they're afraid. And so work with them, right? Well, if the story's not true, you don't have to go there. They're your loved one. They're your friend. So just assume better of them and assume that they're afraid. And say, I would like to come with you. And confront this person. Because that's what they'll say. Why didn't you go to this person? Oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Well, see, the Bible tells us to go to that person. And so you need to go to them. And if you're afraid, I'll come with you. And more often than not, it will be revealed that actually it was the first reason that they came to you. It's because the story isn't true. No, no, that's fine. We don't have to go. If they're not willing to go, if they're not willing to go, say, then you can't go around telling this story. Because what God wants, what God's heart is for reconciliation. That's why he gives us Matthew 18. We go to that person who sinned against us, we bring it to them. If they're not willing to listen, then we bring others in the church to them. Other family members, other people, we make sure to fix it. Because God doesn't like broken relationships. He sent his son Jesus so we wouldn't have a broken relationship. His desire is healing. And that's how we handle gossip. And if we are tempted to gossip, and if you're talkative like me, it's easy to gossip. We need to know the damage that we do. This is the damage that we do. We destroy lives by going around talking junk. And it's not an excuse to say, oh, I just need to vent. I just need to share my heart. What God wants is reconciliation. He doesn't want to vent. He wants healing. Now look at the issue that Joseph has in his life with gossip. Maybe you've experienced that. People gossiping against you. I've had that happen in my life. I've had people go around to my friends and turn them against me. I've had all sorts of things, and it hurts. It's terrible. And you know what God has taught me? That I can trust him even with a gossiper. I can trust him even if that person turns other people in my life against me. 
I can still follow the Lord. I don't need to gossip back. I don't need to enter in. That's the hard part about gossipers. You'll only hear their half of the story. Those following Jesus, you'll never hear their half of the story. Because they're not about tearing other people down and causing division. And I've learned that I can trust the Lord in my life with a gossip. Whatever has been destroyed in my life by a gossiper, God has given me back more. Didn't feel good going through it. It didn't feel good being in Joseph's position in prison because of a gossiper. Didn't feel good in my life when that friend turned against me because of a gossiper. When I'm trying to minister to that person and a wolf came in and turned them against me. I didn't feel good. But God allows what he does for a reason. And he's so good that you can trust him with that. If you've got someone in your life going behind your back, talking stuff, don't enter in, follow the Lord and trust him. He's got a plan to use even that, to take even that and turn the tables against Satan in your life. God knows life isn't fair. This isn't fair. Joseph didn't deserve this. Life isn't fair. The Bible knows that life isn't fair. If you're sitting there saying life isn't fair, that's exactly the point. It's not fair. Satan's bad and God's got a plan to fix it. So trust in him. Don't blame him that it's not fair. Trust in him because he's the guy who's going to fix this thing. Here, Joseph trusts in the Lord even in this difficult situation. And verse 21 says this, But the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God's with Joseph even when he gives him a dream that he's going to be a leader. He's with Joseph even when he's rejected and sold into slavery. He's with Joseph when he rises to the top in the palace, and he's with Joseph in the prison. And if Joseph would have judged God's presence by his prosperity, he would have missed half of what God is doing. And how tempting is it to look at our circumstances and judge God's presence by our prosperity? Oh, I'm prospering. Things are great. God is with me. What? What happened? It's difficult. I got sick. They got sick. We lost this. We did that. Where are you, Lord? That's what I do every single time. I need to read this every single morning because it always catches me by surprise. If we measure God's presence by his prosperity, we'll always be wondering where he is. So how do we measure God's presence? Not by our prosperity, but by his promise. Here it says, God is with Joseph the whole time. God is with you the whole time. Even if it doesn't feel like it, he's with you. And you know it by his promise. And soon you'll know it by his deliverance. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And at first, he probably had to do a lot of things he didn't like. First, he had to be faithful scrubbing the floors. And then he had to be faithful scrubbing the toilets. And then he had to be faithful making the beds. And then he had to be faithful making the meals. But God is with him. And pretty soon, he's the one who does it all. And God wants you to be faithful in your life. That's why he's given you these circumstances. He wants you to be faithful with them. Luke chapter 16, Jesus taught, He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in the little thing is unrighteous also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous riches, who will entrust the true riches to you? And the Lord has put you in this circumstance because he wants you to succeed. He wants you to be faithful because he's got bigger plans for you. 
He had bigger plans for Joseph. He's got bigger plans for us. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. And that is the kind of faith that Joseph has. He's never giving up. And God, what he's teaching Joseph, what he'll teach the brothers, what he'll teach the father, what he'll teach us, is that our life will never end in a detour. If we keep our faith in him, it'll never end in a detour. The only way for us, for our lives to end in a detour is if we stop following the Lord. And that is what Satan wants. And if you want God near, then trust in him deeply. Follow him closely. My little two-year-old daughter, she's never apart from me. If you're a father of a two-year-old, you know a lot of times you spend time in the bathroom. You don't need to be there. You're just trying to find some peace. Because she's with me. I'm in the office trying to do stuff. Papa! Papa! I hear her little voice around the house. I'm shutting the door. I'm turning off the lights, trying to get something done. She won't let me go. Papa! Papa! Everywhere. If you want God in your life, be like that. Whether things are good, whether things are bad, don't stop following Jesus. Follow him closer and closer because he's got plans to take whatever you're going through, whatever, whatever suffering you're going through, and turn the tables on what Satan wants to do and use it for your good. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being a God who is so good and who is so big that we can trust even with the big things in our life. And God, if we're going through big struggles, big setbacks, Lord, I pray you'd give us the faith to see beyond our circumstances. Lord, I pray we wouldn't start measuring our, your presence by our prosperity, but instead give us the faith to measure your presence by your promise, for you've promised that you will be with us when we put our faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, if we are struggling right now, Lord, I pray that you bless us with faith that we can continue following you, following you closely, following you like Joseph. Unlike Saul, God, I pray that you'd bless us, that we wouldn't take it on our shoulders, that we wouldn't take all those burdens to fix this suffering and this struggle on ourselves, but instead we would trust in you and wait on you for your deliverance. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless us with that kind of faith. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless us with that kind of deliverance. Lord, we pray that you would bless us today, taking the plans that Satan has meant to crush us, and instead, God, today we pray that you would turn those into plans that bless us. Lord, we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen.